It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration makes the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So I'm so excited that we're on episode 66. I know. Crazy. I can't believe it. I know, time is cruising. It is, and it's going to sound a little odd the next few episodes just because we've had a little bit of Omicron going on, and so um, Amy and I are staying apart, but we're still trying to get together this way. Right. So if it sounds funny, it is. So, so, Teresa, what have you been up to lately since I haven't seen you in a while? Well, before everything, uh, it was fun to have Ladies Happy Hour. It was that very was nice so with um, a place in, called 649 in Aloha, Oregon, which yeah. is outside of uh, outside of the suburb of Beaverton. It was just fun to get to see people again, and they do a lot for the community as far as if um, you're hungry. They do a pay-what-you-can type of thing. So it was great to support them and then just see the the girlfriends again, six feet apart. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, it was was fun. Can't wait for next month. So I found a couple guys that are doing some great things in the world. First off, Brian Arya. He started working the night shift at his family's hotel in 2012. After dreams of an acting career didn't quite pan out. So he was working at the Lincoln Tunnel Motel on the New Jersey side of the Lincoln Tunnel. And Brian was gifted partial ownership of the hotel five years ago from his father. With the pandemic and people being quarantined, experiencing lockdown, area noticed an influx of unhoused people. So a combination of the lack of affordable places to stay combined with people not having a steady income made rent, obviously, a serious issue for a lot of people. Right. He got creative, making a hostel-like experience at the hotel. He used his theater background to create some humorous, though poignant, oh. videos for TikTok. It reminded me of that Mr. Beast that we talked about where okay, he, yeah. he uses oh, his followers to do good stuff. Right. So his series is called Motel Hell. And currently, he has 880,000 followers. Once again, he got creative and decided to share it on TikTok. He launched Free Room for You. With this program, anyone in need of accommodations could get help and housing at the motel. And that just snowballed. That's the part that I loved. It just snowballed from there. He created a wish list for the motel, which was quickly maxed out from donations across the country. Things like food, toiletry, funding to front the room charges began to pour in. A group of local college students trucked over supplies from their food pantry to help them out, which I thought was super cool. One donor dropped off 20 homemade care packages with necessities to deliver to motel residents or people just coming in off the street, which awesome people. He thinks he's given away between 50 to 60 free rooms so far, and he said there's definitely a community there, he told CBS. You've just got to get to know people, get to know their stories, and I'm fortunate I get to do that. And I just love that not only was he helping other yeah. people, but really inspiring everybody Others. in his you know arena to get, get in the game. Speaking of games, um, back in 2020, which seems like 
forever ago. <laughs> a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marcus Rashford was concentrating on recovering from a double stress fracture in his back so that he could represent his premier football league, Manchester United, which I'm not, you know, I love Ted Lasso, oh, but that's yeah. pretty much all I know yeah. about premier football right. league. But with COVID hitting... I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I need to learn more, but especially Manchester United. Now I am a huge fan, but... Um, with COVID obviously putting a pause on the world, the 2019-2020 season came to an abrupt end. The 23-year-old center forward used his extra time to play a new game, using his voice oh. to take on the UK government. Oh, wow. So he became a true hero for the hungry in his country. So often athletes claim they aren't role models. Many of them don't want the pressure, which I get. Right. They're... Yeah, out there all the time. But this young man is definitely setting a good example, not only for his teammates, his social media followers, but also his country. Yeah. Instead of staying home during lockdown, Rashard donned his PPE and helped deliver food to families who relied on free school meals. So when um, the government announced, it's so cool because the government announced that the program would not be extended over the summer. And so obviously the kids were not going to school in the summer. That meant Right. No lunches to these kids that would just go hungry. So Rashford wrote an emotional and persuasive letter to the MPs. He was asking to help feed the 1.3 million families whose children were going to be hungry as a result of this decision. He said, this is about humanity, looking at ourselves in the mirror and feeling like we did everything we could to protect those who can't, for whatever reason or circumstance, protect themselves, which I thought was beautiful. He also told the story of his childhood. He said, I came from little, he tweeted, noting part of his motivation for working to end child hunger. In a letter, he said that food banks and soup kitchens weren't an abnormal thing in his childhood. His family every Christmas would visit a food bank to collect their Christmas dinner. So this guy came from very little, and I love that he's using his, I don't want to say clout, but his fame Right, to help the yeah. cause. He continued to use social media to raise awareness and gain support to make sure the most vulnerable in society are not forgotten. Businesses ac- across the country offered free food to children who needed a food over the holidays. Keep in mind, these businesses were financially struggling after months of social distancing, lockdowns, and partial lockdowns. So the businesses right. are, are, yeah, are in need yeah. as well, but yet they're still helping out, which I love. They wanted to help the hungry, inspiring people to help the poorest children in England have food. And, you know, I want to see him get back on the field to score the goals. Rashford, I'm going to be be watching. He's going to be my new new favorite player. But he definitely impresses possibly more off the field than on the field, which I think says a lot because apparently he's a great player. That's awesome. Yes, very cool. Was Ramona mm-hmm. the past? <laughs> did, I, did she have an illustrator? 
She must have had an illustrator. She must have. I don't know yeah. who the illustrator yeah. was. Because they definitely stick in, the illustrations definitely stick in my head. Stick in your mind, yeah. Total tangent there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, besides her books, the neighborhood in Northeast Portland, Grant Park, where she, where she grew up and is also the setting of her books, was just a few blocks from where Ryan and I lived for seven years and had our first two kids. So it's kind of cool. special. My, my oldest, Riley, took swimming lessons as a baby at Grant Park um, Outdoor Pool. And there's a really cute sculpture of Beverly Cleary's beloved characters, Ramona, Henry, and Ribsy, the cute dog. Mm. And there's a really dark, really great pr- playground. There's, so like a, yeah. um, there's like a walking There's tour. also a walking tour, too. Yeah, we should yeah. do that. You should take I mean, me on I'm that. Doing the spring or summer. Yeah. So I'm really familiar and very sentimental about that neighborhood in Portland. Mm-hmm. And all that being said, I just wanted to learn more about her life. So I read two memoirs, A Girl from Yam Hill and My Own Two Feet. Beverly was born, Beverly Abley Bunn, in 1916 in McMinnville, Oregon. She lived on a farm that had been in the family since the 1800s. Wow. I know, a long time. Uh, she remembers at two hearing the bells toll in Yamhill the day World War I ended, which is pretty darn cool to have that yeah. memory. Beverly lived a pretty idyllic life on the farm. She enjoyed running around, just getting dirty, chasing chicks. I'm just so um, curious if those bells are still in um, Yamhill. Yamhill, I don't know. It must have been a church Another or thing something. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah, we could do a little ask a friend. Tour. But her mother really instilled this phrase, never to be afraid, because of their hardy uh, pioneer ancestors. Mm-hmm. And her mother also really instilled the love of reading. Uh, Beverly read her the only children's books. They had two, Mother Goose and the Story of the Three Bears. She read them until Beverly had them memorized. We had books like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, but she read them over and over. But um, due to the lack of the books, her mom read Jello um, recipes and she <laughs> showed pretty pictures of the dessert. That reminds me of um, Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Are you sitting there yeah. reading the Sports Illustrated? Tom Yeah, you're just desperate. Well, and she'd read advertisements in the Saturday Evening Post and ladies. There you know, we go. Journal. Just she's really clever. Yeah, smart lady. I love that. So her, Beverly and her mother were desperate for uh, some more books. So her mother decided to have a campaign for a library and spoke to a local reporter of a paper. You know, just talking about the need. Um, for the for this library, she was too impatient to wait for voters to raise you know <laughs> tax money to support the library. She decided to ask for donations and created her own created their own little library on the second floor of the Yamhill Bank. And her mother wasn't happy with the donation selection even <laughs> after that, so she held a tea party to raise money for more. I books. want to see a picture of this mother. She just tears. And, and still, she's not quite satisfied, so she goes back to the local paper to have them write an article, and she, this is a quote uh, that says, our children need and are entitled to use the library just as much as the city children are. <laughs> I just I just love it. So, crates of books, yeah, totally. Great, crates of books began to arrive from Oregon State Library in Salem. And you can totally get why the impact of a library and reading had on Beverly, you know, at this young age. Um, farm life was tough also at this time, and her family couldn't sell enough weed or fruit uh, to cover expenses, so her parents mm. decided to lease the farm and move to Portland. Their first house they rented was on Northeast Housing Street. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which is life was so different in the city. Kids, um, you know, roller skated. They played in each other's yards. Um, Beverly went to Ferndale uh, Grammar School, which is now called the Beverly Cleary K through eight school. Mm. Kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it was interesting to read that when she started first grade, she was so excited, but she had trouble learning to read. And she was put in a remedial a reading group called the Blackbirds. The uh, teacher would have them recite words um, from a reading list in front of the class, which I just can't imagine the pressure um, that they would she would have felt. I was also in a remedial reading group growing up through my elementary years. And thankfully, we were sent to a separate room for tutoring. You know, so kids didn't know. Yeah, so kids didn't yeah. know. But but fortunately, by second grade, she learned to read and really fell in love with reading. Um, her mom brought home, brought home from the library two series: the Swiss Twins and the Dutch Twins, and she just fell in love. But it's was, it was interesting to read too that reading was a part of family life. After dinner, um, her mother would read travel journals out loud mm. to Beverly and her father. I mean, I just don't that's better than the Jello. They didn't have much to do. Yeah. I mean, you had the radio, and mm-hmm. I think people just read out loud. Beverly's uh, writing started in fourth grade. She entered a contest uh, at the neighborhood store sponsored by Ted Sneakers. The contest was to write an essay about an animal, and Beverly chose the beaver because Oregon is known as the beaver mm-hmm. state. And she won the contest in $2. And <laughs> I know, it's funny. She found out later that she was the only entry. And she said that was her first big writing lesson, which is just try, you know? I yeah. love that. Yeah. You just never know. And that goes uh, with so much more than just writing. I think right. people can take that and use it for all sorts of things. Right. It's just that experience. I wonder how she found out that she was the only entry. I think she went and asked or something. <laughs> she seems like kind of that kind of Does it kind of deflates? Yeah. You know? Uh Beverly was a sickly as a child. Besides reading as a pastime, she embroidered a lot. Tea kettle covers, pot holders, uh, like a stamp bedspread. I just can't Ooh. escape these crafty people. <laughs> but yeah. so, yeah, in, so in summer of 1927, rumors of inflation and concern over the stock market were just like on all the adults' minds. Stress over finances, Beverly's dad ended up selling their family farm. And with those proceeds, ended up buying their first home off Northeast Thirty uh, Seventh Street in Hancock, um, and also bought a, a family car. So that was kind of it's the beginning of a really tough time. Yeah. Um, in seventh grade, Beverly's teacher uh, recognized her writing piece and said, "Out in the class, when Beverly grows up, she should write children's books." And Beverly notes in her memoir that this was, she was dumbfounded. She'd never received praise like that before. So I just look at how much it meant to her that she remembered. Yeah. Stuck with her. And then the summer before um, starting high school, great high school, her dad lost his job. And Mm. the start of the great depression depression was that fall um, of September, 1929. And it was really hard every day. Men came home to their neighbor, to that neighborhood without work. Meals were Spartan, as Beverly put it, macaroni and cheese, Spanish rice, cream chip beef on toast. Her parents drank hot water instead of tea. It just took a toll on the oh. whole family. I'm still curious day, with what chipped beef is. Just remnants? I think it's like a canned beef or okay. jarred beef. Like spam. Of thing. It's like spam. Yeah, it's like spam or something. Okay. 
But yeah, her father would go every day looking for work with no luck. Beverly spent her time escaping the stress of the home, uh, going to the library. And her writing really blossomed in high school. She wrote articles for the high school newspaper, The Grantonian. Finally, her dad got a job um, as a managing a safety deposit box at the vault of Bank of California. So that kind of alleviated a little yeah. stress. So he brought home Ew, a paycheck. Yeah. But I think this experience, she writes in particular, it really made Oregonians like this relentless practical. And an example of this is her parents encouraged her to go to college, which I don't know if that was always the case, given the time frame. We've talked about other women in this time frame, and it wasn't always, you know, definitely the option. But I think her parents saw um, an opportunity. She had an aunt down there. and she could attend Chaffee Junior College. It was free tuition, and then it was free room and board. So she was off. And I, it was interesting to read that she also was feeling restless, angry, rebellious, disloyal, and guilty. <laughs> I think she wanted to get away from her parents, oh, you know, yeah. and was looking at this as an opportunity. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to read that. But And I love what she packed in her, in her trunk. It was a mix of all these handmade clothes, uh, a skirt she made from her dad's old flannel pants. Oh, my gosh, that's uh, she, adorable. I know. She sewed a four-gourd skirt, which is kind of like an A-line mm, skirt. Mm-hmm. It's four, kind of four panels. She knitted a pink sweater to match, and then she had sewed an evening dress, you know, I'm sure for some dances or something. I just admire her, you know, ingenuity. Uh, Beverly, and skill. Beverly, that takes – an I evening dress skill. takes some skill. Total skill, Yeah. So Beverly's aunt, Verna, um, all she asked of Beverly was to keep her room clean and make a cake twice a week (laughs) in exchange, which is kind of a fun arrangement. Um, But it was really, it was a neat setup because her aunt and uncle lived just a short walk to Chaffee Junior College. And so she could even see it from her bedroom, which is kind of fun. Nice. Uh, Time was really exciting in California. um, And she just really... I know, really just blossomed. One of her favorite classes, of course, was an English class um, where she had to write a 300-word essay every day. And she mm-hmm. later wrote that that really helped her become a disciplined writer, just being forced to write like that mm-hmm. every day. After two years at Chaffee, she went to Cal Berkeley. Uh, guess what the cost of tuition was back then? <laughs> I have... yeah, it was $150 a year. Oh, my gosh. I know. And the room and board was $18 a month. Um, Crazy. I know. So while she's at Berkeley, she had a job cleaning glassware in the dining room, in the dorms. And then she also had another job where she worked the phone switchboard, which I think she kind of enjoyed. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Connect, you know, connecting calls. And later her room went up and she was so afraid to ask her parents and went up to $24. So she, (laughs) she ended up having dresses and skirts for people for 50 cents. So cute. But. And once again, resourceful, very resourceful. I don't know that also maybe it's a characteristic of people during the depression. They're just super resourceful. Uh, The other fun thing I read about her, she took a fencing class as a PE credit, which reminded me, Mm. we talked about uh, Tahaj Muhammad, who talked about episode 39, was the the first uh, Muslim-American woman to wear a hijab while competing in the U.S. Olympics, which was super cool. But I thought it was kind of fun. That they had fencing even back. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. 
And during one of her English lectures, her teacher used this phrase, the monotony of life, um, which is those details that give reality to fiction. And that also stuck with her and really inspired her writing, just to be writing about the day-to-day. That kind of reminds me of Seinfeld. Yeah. We just talked about everything. An interest. Yep, and it was very interesting. Uh, She met her husband, Beverly met her husband, Clarence uh, Cleary, at a dance while attending uh, Berkeley. He was six years older than her. Good thing she made that evening dress. Yeah, she (laughs) had an evening dress, exactly. And I love what she wrote. She said that her first impression of Clarence as he is kind, gentle, quiet, and best of all, single. (laughs) I'm not sure of that. So so cute. So after graduation, Clarence worked for the Department of Employment in Sacramento, and Beverly went on to get her graduate degree in librarianship at the University of Washington, Mm. so kind of in our neck of the woods. So she was a husky. She was a husky. She kept in touch with Clarence, and then her first job as a librarian was in Yakima, and she reflects on that time, too, as really another point that... Uh, really, really inspired her writing was she met these uh, young boys who come into the library. She called them a group of grubby little boys, non-readers. <laughs> and the teacher brought them in, hoping that they would find something that would interest them to read. And Beverly quickly found out there was nothing for these young boys that would interest them. So that mm. just really stuck with her that like there needs to be more literature for 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 boys, mm-hmm. and you know maybe some different types of books. So during Christmas, Clarence uh, uh, visited her and proposed. And I didn't realize this, but her parents, you know, were Protestant and his uh, family was Catholic. So they didn't approve of the marriage. And so they eloped to Reno, Nevada. I know. After the wedding, they moved to San Francisco and she worked part-time at Safford Gate Bookshop in Berkeley um, during the holidays until World War II began. And then she went to the Army seeking a position. And I had to laugh because she wrote about, you know, going to this. You know, she's worried about being sent to the shipyard and becoming another Rosie the Riveter. So I had to remember, say that because I know you're such a baby. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so, funny. She, got, she was worried she was going to have to be a Rosie. I know. And she ended up getting a job as a librarian, which I didn't think they had a that was more jobs that they had in the army. But she got a job at Camp John Knight for a short bit. And uh, it was a really horrendous commute. But I love, while she was there, she volunteered to sew the men's stripes on their uniforms. Again, What's just that? so thrifty. Yeah. <laughs> using her skills. After, using her skills. After that, she ended up getting a job closer by at the Oakland area station, U.S. Army Hospital, which used to be the Oakland Hotel. Where actually she went to dances when she was at Berkeley. So kind of interesting. They took over the ballroom there. But um, so I guess libraries popped up everywhere during this time, during the war, um, on military bases as a place for soldiers to relax and read and Mm -hmm. hopefully boost morale, which I didn't know about, which I really find fascinating. But she worked there um, until 1943. From 1943 until the end of the war. I love to hear that about libraries popping up. I wonder how many soldiers, like what percentage actually utilized it. Yeah, I think it was something, again, just like reading at night. I think it was Mm -hmm. like what they had, you know, that or radios, you know, something, some sort of entertainment for them. So um, an opportunity to get away and in your mind, imagination. 
Um, so after the war, wanting to start a family, they bought a house uh, in Berkeley. It came with a cat, which I thought was pretty cute. But after settling in, Beverly uh, was finally determined to write a book. I mean, this was nagging at her through the years. And she just kind of sat down and she started with a short story about Henry Huggins, which was inspired by the boys from her old neighborhood in Portland off mm-hmm. uh, Northeast Hancock Street, which was which she named in her book Click Attack Street because she thought she liked the sound of it better. Uh, Beverly said the name Henry uh, Higgins came to just came to her just as the skinny dog Spear Ribs um, came to her, and then it became Ribsy. But she had Spear Ribs in her refrigerator, so she was just kind of <laughs> grabbing at what she had, and you know, kind of creating this story. Mm-hmm. She sent it to a publishing firm who suggested she write a series of stories and kind of string them together to create a chapter book, which she did. Henry Huggins was published in 1950, which was the first of 32 books that she'd go on to write. Um, and her husband, Clarence, which is her constant supporter of her writing, they eventually had two children, were married 64 years, wow. which is so sweet. Yeah. And in the 1960s, they moved um, to Carmel and lived there until her, de- her death this past year. Um, but while researching, I found out about uh, deer. Did you, do you, oh, do you yeah, know about yeah, we had that in school. Or, no, I, my kids which, have that. Yeah, which means drop everything and read. Yep. It's a month-long national uh, celebration of reading. Just to, reading, um, just to remind folks of all ages that reading should be a priority. Oh, now my kids did it longer than a month. They did it, I mean, they're all the time they were doing right. deer. So, well, I, yeah. It sounds like it, yeah, it could be all the time or it could be during the month. Yeah. Or, um, they also uh, celebrate on her birthday, which is April 12th. Mm. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, but she, I guess Beverly was inspired to write about deer, you know, um, in her book, Ramona Quimby, age eight, which she kind of, I get that she really wanted people and children in particular really to love reading mm-hmm. and, and not to read just for an assignment, but just to read out of the love of it. Um, I just want to escape. Beverly- I mean, it's a good way to just escape. It's a good way to learn. Right. I mean, so many benefits from reading. reading. Yeah. Yeah. I love that Beverly didn't shy away from um, exploring difficult topics like divorce or insecurity, bullying, and how she brought humor every day to everyday experiences, mm-hmm. which we all need. And I totally get why her books are still so popular today. I love her openness to talk about her own struggles with reading growing up, especially someone like myself who struggled. It just kind of meant a lot to read about that. Well, our honesty. I think it. Honesty, I think it's. Yeah. yeah. I think it helps a lot of kids because they feel like they're the only ones. And right. Then someone and like Beverly Cleary. Famous you know author. That, yeah. Yeah, that's inspiring. Exactly. And there's also just I love her heart of writing. That she really wanted to create stories that children would enjoy reading. Um, I just admire her tenacious spirit, like with her crafting and how she just was so creative. I think my favorite part is that she saw those boys and that those boys, you know, the little rugrats wouldn't have something that they would like to, would be interested in reading. So she saw a need there and I love that she took care of that. Right. It just really stuck with her. I kept with her. Very cool. Yeah. Fun. If you don't see the book you want on the shelf, write it. Beverly Cleary. In keeping with stories about authors, since we just talked about Beverly Cleary, Ryan sent me this story about this eight-year-old boy, Dylan, 
Helbig from uh, Boise, Idaho, who recently wrote an 81-page graphic novel illustrated with colored pencils. Eight-year-old? Eight-year-old. Oh, my gosh. Just over this last Christmas spray. His graphic novel is written on pages of this really red covered notebook. It's really cute. Entitled Adventures of Dylan Helbig, and it's spelled Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-M-I-S. <laughs> Okay, is that at the library and now it's like everybody wants a copy? That's the story. Okay, my mother-in-law just sent me that story today. Okay, so go ahead. I didn't. I haven't actually gotten to read it, so tell me. All right, so Joe's a second grader, and after writing this graphic novel, he went with his grandmother to the library because he wanted to share his book with kids. So unbeknownst to his grandmother, he put the book on the bookshelf in the children's section and I guess a couple days went by later he told his mother what he had done and about the novel and and so kind of feeling a bit bad about it I guess without permission yeah and so uh, his parents wanted to get the book back so they phoned the library and spoke to the librarian and went back and I guess it was missing and so they spoke to the branch manager um, Alex Hartman, and he said, um, you know, he did think it was a bit sneaky of Dylan, um, <laughs> but he's obviously, he thought this was too good no, yeah. not to throw away. A good and kind of sneaky. He, yeah, he had found Dylan's book, and he shared it with his co-workers and even his little six-year-old son, who thought it was the funniest book he'd ever heard, um, and that's a high compliment coming Absolutely. From so Alex asked Dylan and his parents if it was okay to put a barcode on the book so <laughs> other people could check it out, which is so cool. And of course they said yes. And, you know, I just, you know, Dylan's mom said, I just, Dylan's imagination is constantly going and it's clearly evident that he could write an 81 page yeah. book. Over so now Christmas break. I know. And now there's a 55 person wait list, <laughs> which is so cool. And the other neat outcome of this, the a local Boise children's writer, um, Christiane Lane, um, and I had to look her up because I wasn't familiar with her, but she has a little book out called A Dog Named Bronco. She offered to lead a writing workshop with Dylan at the library for other children, mm. which is so cool. So you he's going to have more books. Yeah, and for other kids to be inspired to write, too. Which That's is awesome. Really cool. So. I just love learning about these awesome kids we hear about and learning about on our podcast. Yeah, eight years old. That's amazing. I know. Time for the fun as we're continuing with our, I think, Betty White theme. (laughs) Um, What exotic animal, Teresa, um, would you like to have? After watching her her documentary like thing on uh, big cats, I would yeah. have to say either a tiger or a puma or some <laughs> sort of cuddly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Something fun. Uh, yeah, Fluffy. yeah. The cheetahs though were super fast. So, but yeah, those pretty cats. A pretty cat. Oh, fun. What have, What about? What is your favorite cocktail? Um, I'm boring. Probably just Sailor Jerry's and Diet Coke <laughs> or. I love, um, there's a place in Portland that does pudding, oh. like pudding shots. So it's like an, a pudding dessert. So if I were to pick yeah. a cocktail, it would be that. That sounds yummy. Yeah, they're very good. How about 
documentary, favorite documentary. So I'd have to say, um, I just finally watched the RBG documentary oh. and my, um, my brother and sister-in-law gave me her book. I've got to read it. We've got to do a podcast on her for sure. Be but really good. Yeah. So that's my, sure. current, my current favorite. Yeah. That sounds awesome. How about a favorite sandwich? Back in the day, I don't know if you ever went to a plush pippin, but they used to have a plush pippin in Beaverton oh. and they had like a turkey cranberry sandwich. Mm. It was that really good yummy. on white bread. Yummy. It was like on Wonder White Bread. So it was terrible oh, for you, but yeah. It was, it was <laughs> yummy. Good. Any uh, animal you have an irrational fear? <laughs> We've talked about the this. The one that around yeah, the little rat around. or whatever oh. it is that we see by the pod when we're. I also have an irrational fear of things at the bottom of water if I'm swimming. Oh, yeah, yeah open that. water. Yeah, I don't like to not be able to see the bottom. I prefer swimming pool for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, lots. My imagination's very wild with irrational fears of animals. <laughs> I get that. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Barack Obama. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.